The OneStream Global Education Services team proudly presents the OneStream Podcast with your host, Peter Fugere. Greetings, fellow OneStreamers, and welcome to the OneStream Podcast, where we explore and examine all things OneStream, talk to experts in the industry, and gain knowledge from some of the brightest minds that help deliver and implement solutions for our clients. This episode is part of the OneStream Expert Series, where we explore and examine fundamental concepts, tools, and topics surrounding OneStream. And in this, our second season, we're diving into how customer business requirements become real solutions. I'm your host, Peter Fugere, Chief Solutions Officer at OneStream Software. And as always, I'm excited to bring this discussion to you. We're talking about design sessions, and I'm grateful to welcome Chris Barbieri, Jim Heflin, Solution Architects at Finit. Welcome, guys. Hi, Pete. It's great to be here. So you guys are at Finit now. Tell me about Finit. What makes Finit so special? Jim? The one thing that I really like about Finit is the culture. I really think that's what sets the, the company apart. And I know that it's kind of cliche. A lot of companies talk about what they value and their customers and the people that work there. Um, but when it comes to like really walking the walk, that's where I think uh, Finit really differentiates itself. So uh, it's founded by consultants and they understand, you know, how consultants think and, and what they need to do their jobs. And they really, really look after the people that work there. And the other side of it's the customer focus. Simply put, like Finit doesn't connect billable hours and compensation. It's based on client success, right? So how we get evaluated and how we get rated is, do we have successful, successful projects and happy clients? Chris? It's the breadth and depth that amazes me constantly. We're growing. Uh, OneStream is growing. This is really great. My lament is that I wish I'd started this 15 years ago. <laughs> It's a really great platform, but uh, at Finit, they just have this amazing ability to hire people who just keep filling out all of the things that we need to do so that we have experts in every single area. And uh, it's this constant humility. Everybody shares in that humility and that focus on the customer, and everybody just wants to jump in and help each other. So this season, we've been discussing how concepts become solutions, how we take ideas where we can implement them in the platform, for example, and uh, deliver them to a customer. How does Finit, how do you help a customer that has an issue and, and you can see in a way that OneStream can help? I think the primary challenge in what we do is understanding the issue or the challenge, right? So someone has a problem or we're trying to come up with a solution. It's usually not the, the technical side of it that's really the challenge. It's talking to people and understanding what they want the outcome to be. Like, what am I actually trying to solve for? It tends to be the real challenge. And that's the conversation that has to happen back and forth. Um, so just trying to be able to talk to someone about what it is they're trying to achieve or what the problem is and draw that out of them in a way that, you know, we can understand it. Then we can look and apply the solution to it, right? There's a way to do it in one stream, but you have to actually understand clearly what it is that you're trying to achieve. And I think that's the, the hardest part is that that conversation. That's this thing you learn over time is just how to, how to get past like the surface sentence and how to get down to the actual problems that we're trying to solve. What's the crux of the issue? I've been in this space for 20 some odd years and not only here at Finit, but also with with respect to OneStream, I think we spend vastly more time in 
requirements and design than I ever did before. And that is because to Jim's point, we seek to listen. We need to make sure that we clearly understand what it is that we're trying to do. But with respect to OneStream, we're in a situation now where we as architects are designing a platform that's going to suit the customer's need for years to come. There are some things that we can certainly change as we go on, but there are some things that we need to design a solid base before we begin and layer in phase after phase, the addition of consolidation or planning or FP&A or all of the other features that OneStream brings. In order to get that right, to make the rest of the life of that application useful, we have to spend a lot of time listening and thinking ahead. And it could be six months or it could be three years ahead. So we spend a lot more time in design now than we ever did before. But I think it's to uh, our benefit, our customer's benefit. Well, that's a great segue because today on the show, we're going to be discussing the design session. And just to give the little uh, the listeners a little bit of perspective here, I've known these two guys for 20-something years. Uh, I was a junior consultant. We worked together at Hyperion, and the three of us have gotten the chance to work on a lot of projects. Jim was the guy who taught me how to write rules forever ago, and Chris Barbieri was the lead on the first design session I was ever in. So I can't think of two better guys to have this discussion with. Um, and for the for the listeners, as part of this bigger podcast series, this second part of the second season, we're really focusing on each part, each fundamental step through an implementation. And Chris nailed it perfectly. I mean, the design session is a is a critical part of really laying the groundwork. And it's interesting to hear, you know, when you think about a platform needing to spend that extra time to dive into it. So guys, let's talk about uh, this design session and maybe some of the things you think listeners might be interested in. Let's start with just how do you prepare for a design session? How do you get the client ready? How do you personally prepare to go into a room and, and help a client through the design and that discussion? A lot of this depends on where you come into the process, right? So sometimes you're showing up at the design as the first interaction that you have. Other times it may be all the way back in the sales cycle or someplace else where you're trying to help scope out. So you come into different projects with a different level of information, right? But the primary thing you're trying to do is try to get that overall picture of the objective. Like, why are we there? Right. right. And so you can try to talk to some of the people that were involved in the sales cycle or the scoping if you weren't there. Um, but you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the, the overall lay of the land. Like, what am I trying to do? And then what's the process that I had to go through to do it? And so, you know, you go through, you look at the material that you have, because a lot of times they've been asked in advance for, you know, if you're trying to produce, if you're doing consolidations, right, and you're trying to produce a, a book at the end of the month, you, you look at it. You try to look at the processes that they're doing now and what you have in front of you to try to get an idea of, of what it looks like. And that varies so much. And the scope and size of the different projects varies a lot too, right? So you're trying to get an idea. Is this just a consolidation project up front or is this going to be a whole suite of things? And this is just the first step in it. Um, because sometimes uh, you may not have, there, this product is so broad right now, you may not have the knowledge across all the different pieces that are going to be implemented later. So what ends up happening on some of the implementations is you start talking. And if you know something's coming up or you're not necessarily expert, we will pull in other people for example, uh, we're doing a project where we started off and we have multiple architects because one of them was focused on the FP&A side. The other side was focused on the consolidation. Consolidation piece happened much later. 
But the reason they were there was to watch uh, how it came together to make sure that the decisions that were being made would work for the later parts of the system. Uh, does that make sense? Try to yeah. get the right people in the yeah, room. Yeah. yeah, trying to get the right people in the room, and it's maybe not just one person that has a knowledge breadth that goes across all the different things that you're trying to do. So part of the prep to get in when you start off is to make sure that the right people are going to be involved in it, and they may not be there that long. They may be there just to make sure that the design isn't doing something that's going to make it very difficult for a later phase. So if I walked in as consolidations and said, "Hey, the entity structure is all going to be a legal entity," I may be really harming what we'll be coming later in like a planning phase or something like that, right? So you have somebody from the planning side in the room that goes, well, wait, 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 you know, these things have to be considered. So you get a more holistic approach to what's going on to make sure that the later phases will fall into place. Well, I like, I like what you said in there too, Jim. I mean, the, you know, the big question, why are we here? What are we, what are we implementing? What's our focus? And then the other thing I think, you know, I'm taking away from your comment is, is, uh, you know, what we're talking about is um, what's the roadmap, you know, and are you not, not closing any doors on yourself. I mean, we really do have a platform and I, I'm, we're going to talk about that today. I talk about it in every podcast. We really do have a platform. So how are you setting yourself up for phase, not just phase two, but four, five, six, and seven, right? So that's interesting. What about the client? What do you tell the client to bring and, and how do they prepare for the meeting? Chris, what do you say to, to a client to get them ready for the meeting? Uh I would point out that design is actually not the first time that we're meeting with somebody. Design is actually the second or third phase, depending on how you define it. So it's yep. the requirements. In the requirements conversations, we figure out what are the topics that we need to discuss. We don't go into them in detail, but we figure out what are the what are the hot topics. That's how we define the meetings that we're going to have and the stakeholders who are going to be there. And we prepare for some specific topics that came up then. Usually we will have PowerPoints or some mock-ups or some examples from other customers um, so that we can share with the customer. The conversations are two-way. We are actively listening, but we also need to explain some of the topics enough so that they can understand what we're doing. It is, it is inherently a two-way conversation. I like, I like that. My mantra usually for requirements versus design, I always say like, you know, in the requirements, I'm doing 80% of the listening. In design, I'm doing 80% of the talking. You know, like I'm coming into design saying, this is what I heard and, and here's how we're going to move forward. But I like that. I like the active listening. Yeah. And as a, the prep as you go into it depends on what you're going to do. If it's a known process, right? Somebody's going to do a cash flow. Yeah, we I, I have a list. <laughs> you know, I can give you a list of things that I need to do that because I, we've done it. But if it's a brand new process, if it's something that their system can't currently do and they, they want to do, you know, they want to do something different, trying to get at least the bones of the definition. Right. So when you're, when you're talking to them before you get into it, you know, what's going to what needs to come into this process? What are my inputs? What do you want me to do? And what are the outputs? And people may have something they, they have the output in their mind. Right. So they're going, ah, at the end of the day, I want to see this. Well, how do we need to get there? there? There has to be some of that thought on the front end, because as soon as we get in the room, we're going to start asking those questions like, where does the data come from? Right. right. So at least, you know, some of the prep is just talking through. It. It's like, oh, OK, you know, where is this data coming from? And so because if they don't know that, they're going to end up going back and having to answer those. They're going to have a list of to do's. It's like, you know, where does the data come from? How do I get to it? How often can I get it? That kind of thing. So is this is this an opportunity for you guys to to validate your scope of the project? Meaning, 
like, you know, Jim, what you just described there saying about the cash flow, if, if you come in, if you've made assumptions about how prepared or the, the quality of the data they had for cash flow, you know, that they were, they had their, you know, they were a little more organized than when you actually sit down and start looking at what is available to build it out and you see that pieces are missing. I mean, how do you, how do you handle that with a client? Yeah, I'm going I'm to take a different example because almost everybody has the information they need to do the cash flow. But the one they don't have is the ability to do the automated intercompany, right? Because pretty much everybody's doing a cash flow now. So they may not be able to automate it to a high extent. But one that we hear again and again is trying to automate like intercompany processes. Yeah. And you get down and you say, I need this in order to perform that elimination. And then that's where a lot of times the data doesn't exist. It's just not structured that way. So you end up into these conversations as can it be? You know, you I understand historically that you know, you don't have the intercompany partner or whatever it is that you need to actually make it work. Can we get there? Can that be captured? Because those kind of process changes are very difficult, right? Yeah. Uh, a, a manipulation within the system, a technical manipulation we can get through, we can, you know, it just requires work. But if the data isn't captured at a level that allows you to do the thing, the objective that you're trying to get to, that's what you're trying to tease out. If it doesn't exist, can we get it? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. That's That's kind of the hard part of it. Yeah. If I can add, one of the things that I've learned is I need other people in the room. We can talk about cash flow as an example, but I need to have people in the room from FP&A. This is different than in my own past where it was a consolidation-centric um, design. I want to know not only how do we do this for GAAP and non-GAAP cash flow, how do we plan cash flow? How do the different divisions plan cash flow? And this is where I find a lot of information uh, relevant to design is bringing other people to the room and not just having the not just having the external cash flow person in the room, but I need to understand how does this impact the divisions. Well, let me let me ask you that. That's a great question. Who else should be in the room? And you know, how many is too many people? I hear that a lot from customers. Number one person that I want in some of the sessions is the leader. Who here is actually running the whole show so that we have somebody we have somebody visible that is the owner of this entire system and who can who can actually break ties and that sort of thing? That aside, I'd like to have people from corporate finance. I want to also have people from the divisions, people from financial accounting and from FP&A. So how many is too many? I would say once you get above about 10 people sitting in the room, that's probably not that helpful anymore. Usually four to six is probably where you're going to get your most feedback in terms of numbers. But you definitely need to have representation from both the gap, the financial accounting side, and from the management side, because we're making decisions that in the long run are going to affect both. And I think, Chris, I think that's a great number. I mean, six to eight, because when you get above... 10, you start dealing with in a group like that dynamics of, you know, the politics of the office. Let me ask you guys, how long should a design meeting take? How long do yours typically take? And I get it too. Like, it's going to depend on what parts of the platform you're implementing and when, but, but how do you manage that? Design is a phase. It's not a meeting. It's a series of meetings. And each topic we find can take one to five hours, sometimes a couple of days. It really depends on how sticky the topic is. But most of the topics we can look at 
and define within within under a day, usually a few hours. But those topics can go on for weeks, sometimes three or four weeks. And that is, depending on how much detail we get into, determines the, the overall length. But just like the old adage, measure twice, cut once, the more that we can get into design up front, the better we can speed through the build because everyone has actually come to an agreement on how we're going to approach something. But I would say that we're talking multiple weeks and definitely one of the first things that we have to achieve is a common platform design to handle all of the, the financial accounting and the FP&A and all the different things that we're going to do. Yeah, I have seen designs, and I think, Jim, you've seen some too, where the original design was FP&A centric or the reverse. It was consolidation centric, which made it difficult to layer in other capabilities later on. Yeah, what you see sometimes is different portions of the business have a different technical maturity about them, right? So some portions of a business, they're very solid on their quote dimensionality. The things that they look at are highly defined across the entire company. Um, and then you'll get into some other areas where, especially if you have a company or corporation that does many different things, like it's not all producing, manufacturing the same thing, and you have different divisions, they could have different focuses. And so if you're trying to pull together things that aren't as well-defined or they don't have that maturity around them, it can be difficult. So an example of something like the chart of accounts. You'll go into some places and the chart of accounts is of short discussion because they they have it, they know what it is, everybody's on the same one, and so they can just point to it and say, this is our chart. You can go to someplace else where corporate is kind of more of a minor player in the overall picture and all the divisions have different charts. So then just what chart of accounts do you use? Right in and of itself becomes this topic of discussion. And if they have to create something like a chart of accounts in order that has agreement across all the different players in this, you can take three to six months for them to actually come to that agreement as to what that chart's going to be. So how long did the design take? A lot of it depends on what's, what's known and you know how centralized or decentralized the company is that you're working with. So let's talk about multiple solution designs. We, we're sort of talking about, you know, doing consolidation versus FP&A. Do you ever consider taking the client through a roadmap or uh, sort of doing a data flow? How would you guys manage a client who has multiple solutions? The easiest way to, to look at it is from the financial accounting and then from the FP&A. But then we're, even when we're talking about planning, we're talking about people planning. We're talking about capital planning. And then we we actually have done a lot of um, BI-oriented solutions where we're substituting some parts of a Tableau-like solution. So if the roadmap is, here are all the different things that we could do with the platform. And, and it's not a push uh, approach either. It should be, Tell me all of the things that you need. Let's figure out what we can do. In OneStream is such a rich platform. We can do a lot, but we don't have to <laughs> do a lot. So there's a lot of negotiation that we have to go through, which is to figure out what can we do, what can we do over time, and what really should stay in some other solution. So we, we talked about the design session being you know, part 
project planning, um, and for me, part education. It's my opportunity to, you know, sort of take what everybody's learned through the sales cycle and, you know, start to apply that knowledge in the design, show them how they're going to take their business processes and put it in the product. Uh, and that means sort of explaining at, at a deeper level uh, some core functionality with the, with the software. So let me ask you guys, you know, you, you have to do the same thing. How do you explain something like extensibility to a client? They've seen the demo. They generally get how it works. But when you start breaking their chart of accounts up, you know, sometimes you get that, you know, far away look in their eyes. How, how do you how do you bring them back? How do you how do you explain extensibility to a client? I think the easiest example of that is typically when you're talking about horizontal extensibility in the accounts, like, like you're mentioning, if you're planning at one level and you're you have the actuals coming in at a different level. So you usually use that as, a, as an example because it, it's so common and people have they tend to have an idea of account levels in their mind, right? So sometimes they're numbered and sometimes not. But if you say, oh, I budgeted the sixth level account and again, the data comes in off the trial balance at the seventh level, they, they have that concept of levels and levels of detail on the chart of accounts specifically. So usually I go toward the accounts to try to explain that. Another question I, I've probably been asked a million times, who's the right person to be an administrator? From my experience, those people tend to be uh, more of accounting people that have some sort of uh, aptitude with, you know, technical, you know, uh, either coding or understanding databases or anything like that. You know, even even um, uh, writing macros in Excel is the example I use. And it's so much easier to teach an accounting person the software than it is to explain uh, to an IT person, uh, source and use of funds on a cash flow statement. I mean, what do you? How do you guys feel about that? You don't get to choose, right? I mean, you, everybody, each company is set up in such a different way. Sometimes yeah. you'll come in, and there will be a financial IT group of people that that's their life. They they sit between like the hardcore IT and the accounting, and they monitor the systems. And so there's there's a natural fit for some of those people that are already interfacing between the two different groups. You go into other corporations and they're very siloed. You have accounting and you have IT and there's nothing yeah. in the middle. And so, you know, the ideal outcome is going to be very different in those circumstances. On, on one side, you're, you're talking to people that are already sitting in that niche and you're just trying to explain, you know, the connections back out to the different sides from the software perspective of how, how we want to talk to the accountants and how to talk to people over the IT. Whereas if you have very siloed groups you're really looking to try to find that person that can bridge that gap. Yeah. And so some places that's, that's a real challenge. It usually the larger the organization, they have that intermediate organization that sits between it, you know, but smaller organizations and some places that just run very lean, that doesn't exist. So trying to, trying to figure out who that person is, if they haven't already identified it, sometimes they do, but the, the challenge here always is those people have full-time jobs right now. Before you walk through the door, you know, they're busy and a project and implementation is more work and, you know, maintaining a system going forward is, is more work. So that has to be recognized by people that if they're going to take on that, you know, responsibility, it is going to be part of their job. It's something they're going to need to do. And maybe there's something else they need not to do that someone else needs to take over to give them yeah. time to do it. The core administrator is somebody who understands the accounting first and foremost and enjoys creating some cue views. And when you show them 
a little bit of the member formulas that they look at that and go, oh, that's kind of cool. As soon as you have that person who says, oh, that's kind of cool, take them, hold them, nurture them, love them. <laughs> All <laughs> that's right. That's, Chris, Chris is not necessarily recommending an, an HR uh, intervention. <laughs> Treat them quickly, buy them lunch. <laughs> well, because I promised it, and Chris, you mentioned it, how do you talk about the platform? And this is something that's so near and dear to me. Like I, you know, being at OneStream from, from early on, I really think we have a platform. And I know other companies, they say they have a platform, but you know what? Other companies, they don't have a developers conference where they bring people in and have them uh, invest their IP and develop solutions. OneStream is truly a platform. How do you get that across to a customer, especially in the design, when they're laying out these business processes and it's like, they're trying to just figure out like how they fit together. You're trying to make them fit together inside of one software tool effectively. How do you get that across? How do you explain that to somebody? I'd rather not. I mean, to be honest, uh, there's an expression that technology, which is distinguishable from magic, is insufficiently advanced. That is, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to explain to them the platform. I want to just explain to them how we can bring all of this stuff together. And then yeah. over time, let the platform speak for itself and not try to explain up front, oh, it's this big thing. That's a really interesting approach. I like that. Let me, let me ask you guys this. Uh, for the design session, requirement session, how important is it to go to training before you have the meetings? Or are you okay with people going to the meetings and then bringing that knowledge from the, the design session, whatever their issues are, to the training sessions after? Do you guys have a preference and why? I would ask, it depends on their background. If they already have a background with a similar tool set, then I can work with that. We have enough experience to be able to relate to them through those eyes. If they do not already have a background in a similar product or platform, then absolutely, please go to training. Yeah, I think some of the value there is kind of the art of the possible, right? If they go to training, they're not concerned about their specific you know, their specific system, they're, they're getting exposed to a broader view, right? The people in the room that are doing the training are not just trying to train them on what their solution is. They're trying to tell them what you can do and how the product works. So what you end up with is farther down the design, they'll, in their mind, they've seen some different ways the product are used, which can help prompt them to go, oh, the, the product can actually do this thing. We should do this thing. And it, it hadn't connected with them that it was that it was possible or that this tool could do that thing. But somewhere in the training, they saw something or an example, or they talked to somebody else that was in the training from another company that was there trying to solve a different problem. And they're like, oh, you can solve that problem here too. So it kind of can open up that experience as to, to what they're looking for. And it can help them define in their mind what it is they're looking for. So when you get to the design, they can be more specific and they can have a broader spectrum about the things they're asking for. One of the things I look for in design is risk, risk to the project, risk to, you know, with, with the data that's coming in. One, how do you guys identify risk? And two, why don't you give me your top two or three risks? And I'll, I'll take the first one off the table right now. 
Data reconciliation <laughs> should be on the top of everybody's list. I don't care what the product is. I don't care how long you've been doing it. Data reconciliation is the number one risk. And, and again, like you guys back me up if you think I'm, or say something if you think I'm wrong. You know, it doesn't matter the tool. It doesn't matter, you know, how good you think your data is. It's the biggest risk, right? You stole my thunder. Anybody... <laughs> Anybody that knows me knows that, that that's what I'm going to call out first and foremost and, and over and over again is the primary risk of the timeline. Um, how do you identify the risks? A lot of that just comes through experience and, and that you've been burned in different ways before. Things, yeah. things went sideways in ways you you know were not obvious. Um, to me, the second thing is client resources is is a struggle because those people that are going to do this project all have full-time jobs now. And the understanding that, you know, projects take time and they take concentrated effort in certain periods of time that may not be, con they may not coincide with the business cycle of when those people have time available. Yeah. So a, a big risk to it is, is just the, the resourcing and the times needed. Uh, and then there's so many uncontrollable factors. I mean, people get sick, things happen, people change jobs, there, there's movement in that. So even if you have a good plan initially, you don't, there's so many factors that are outside of your control there, but uh, trying to keep everything resourced um, from the client side can, can definitely be a challenge in some places. Yeah. Institutional knowledge. Institutional knowledge can be a huge benefit or it can be a big risk. The more the people who are involved in the design understand the ghosts in the closet, back to your point about data, if they understand because they were there three, five years ago, whenever it was, they were there, they understand why we did things a certain way. That can be a really big benefit as long as they can understand that things can be different. Yeah. Then we, have, we stand a really great chance of success. But if you are walking into a room where it's a room full of people who no one's been here longer than six or 12 months, We've got a lot ahead of us. There's a lot of discovery that has to go on for the entire team. And you just have to factor that into the length of time it's going to take for us to make decisions. So this is a fun question for me. This is the last question of the day. Tell me three things you guys wish you both knew before you got into consulting. So it's funny as I, I kind of took that from a perspective of what would you tell your younger self if you were yeah. just getting involved, right? <laughs> and... Uh, I came up with it and I had two or three things that came through my mind. And then I went over to chat. Buy GPT. Apple. Was Buy Apple one of them? <laughs> that would have been a good one. Uh, and then it was kind of funny. I went over to chat GPT and I typed into it. Um, what are the biggest challenges with working in like software development and software consulting? And it, some of the things came across. Um, what, what stands out is that the primary thing that you're going to be trying to do is trying to interpret requirements it, that the, the challenge is not usually the technical piece, right? That's the fun part. That's the part I want to do is the, the technical bits and making the solution work. But the real focus is understanding what the requirement is. So that's kind of the, the number one piece to it. I would say there's no one who knows it all. If they do the mine, <laughs> there's so much to learn. Try things out. Do your homework, ask for help, and pay it forward. When somebody helps me, 
I turn around and share that with other people. And that's really what makes the whole environment, our whole space move forward. Yeah, that, that's the key. You're never going to get in front of the technology. This isn't blacksmithing. You're not going to learn how to shoe the horse and you're done for your career. It's just moving too fast. And just, you know, you, you just have to accept the fact that it's moving and you're focused in certain areas on implementations. You can't see the whole big picture all the time while you're head down in implementation. If you get into something, you're focused in specific areas for a year and you come back out and the world's moved on. And the software has moved and progressed in areas that you didn't think. So you end up in these meetings and you're like, oh, how are you going to do that? And somebody goes, oh, you just use this feature. And you're like, wait a second, that, where did that come from? Well, it came out while your head's down over here someplace else. And that's going to, and that never ends. That, that, that's just the nature of the beast as you, as you go along. You just have to accept that. And you have to be willing to say you don't know something. Um, and that you just have to have confidence after a point in time when someone asks you, it's kind of that, you know, how do you do this? And it's like, huh. I don't know. Like, I'll figure it out. But you just have to be able to, to accept that fact that you're not going to know everything. Another great discussion. Thank you very much for bringing your expertise to the podcast today. And thank you, fellow OneStreamers, for joining us. Remember, if you like this content, please don't forget to subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments, concerns, please reach out at podcast at onestreamsoftware.com. I look forward to bringing you another exciting podcast. And until then, take care, and I'll see you next time on the OneStream Podcast. The OneStream Podcast is brought to you by the OneStream Global Education Services team.